October 23rd, 2023, we're in Masechet Beit Zah, 13 lines from the top of the Amud, three words before the end of the line. If you recall the context of our conversation, our discussions in the Gemara, was the Mahloki between the Biudan Hachamim. The Biudan Hachamim debated not the Halakha from the Torah per se, in its most simple sense of Ochil Nefesh being permitted on Yom Tov, that you're allowed to prepare the necessary foodstuffs in order to eat and enjoy on Yom Tov. But what about Machshire Ochil Nefesh? What about the stages prior to even the preparation of the food, the preparation of the knife, preparation of the skewer, and so forth? Rabbi Uda permitted and Hachamim forbade. And in the midst of that, we have this conversation, Ve'amar Av Yosef, Sakin She'ameda Mutal Hadedah. According to the Behuda, and only according to the Behuda, if there's a knife which became she'ameda, it's, uh, it's dulled, it's no longer as sharp as it should be, you're allowed to sharpen it on Yom Tov. As you recall, we ended the class with this on Friday. Rashi explained that this uh, is a little bit difficult. Rashi said, wait a second, according to the Behuda, we'll read his words in a moment, We've already alluded to them. If it's something that could have and should have been prepared before Yom Tov, you had the time, you had the realization that this knife was not sharp enough, well, then it's not permitted to do on Yom Tov. The machshire ochenefesh, the preparation of the items necessary to bring forth the food, is only permitted when it was efshar, when it wasn't possible to prepare before Yom Tov. And when it comes to a knife, isn't it prepar- Isn't it something you should have known? Couldn't you look at the knife and see that it's becoming dull? Rashi suggested not so fast. Rashi says, listen, if there's an actual blemish in the knife, if there's an actual ridge in the knife that you should have seen beforehand, the fact that it got dulled, that's not something that the Hidush of Rav Yosef should have been clear to you, and in turn this is permitted. However, Vahanemile says the Gemara, who de paska agav duhaka, it's specifically and only when the knife is still usable. Again, the case is it's Yom Tov. You begin to cut into something and you realize that it's not uh, really cutting well. But it is cutting. Rav Yosef qualifies his statement. He says, if it's not cutting at all, even with duhaka, duhaka means by pressing it down, well, in such a circumstance, it wouldn't be permitted. We'll explain why in a second. So again, to state the law, and then the reason clearly, the law goes as follows. It's permitted to sharpen your knife on Yom Tov, according to the Bihuda, provided that, A, it's not a ridge, which you should have seen beforehand, some sort of crevice in the knife, it's just that it got dulled, and B, that you're able to use this knife even now, it's just that it's not sharp enough. That's what says, Paska agavdu haka. Without a shinoi, it's Rabbi Huda. Why should you need a shinoi? Uh, the halacha with this last halacha, paska agavdu haka, explains uh, Rashi. Had it not been that you're able to cut it by pressing down. Well, in such a circumstance, as Rashi explains it, it would be tirhayetera. In other words, if it's so dull to the extent that even by pressing harder, you wouldn't be able to cut, uh, that far we don't permit on Yom Tov. That's a rabbinic violation of tirhayetera. What's that? Well, again, our Mishnah, our Mishnah talked about this sharpening, and the Gemara had a conversation about this, about how we're being posek on this matter. But uh, listen, uh, and that's Nathan's question as well. The Gemara said that our Mishnah 
is ostensibly, the truth is, the Mishnah is ostensibly only going according to the Bihuda, uh, right? So which means to say, yeah, so the answer I, I said wrong to Nathan, and in turn, A.B., you correct me, means that we're only talking about sharpening it Bishinui. Nobody permitted sharpening it in the regular fashion. Why not? Even though it's permitted because of Nefesh, you might still have an issue of it looks wrong, weekday activity type of matter. Uh, so says Rashi on this matter, as I just mentioned, Rashi says, um, Says Rashi, it's a tircha yetera. No, I take back everything. I saw one more time. The, the A.B. and Nathan point. I, you guys messed me up over here. The Gemara said, who's the author of our Mishnah? Namuda, I still have on my mind what I saw. And the Gemara says, Mantana matnitin Our Mishnah, which necessitates a shinui, is following the opinion of Hachamim, because according to the Bihuda, that Machshireo Chanefesh is permitted, it means entirely permitted. You don't need to do any shinui. Machshireo Chanefesh is equated with Ochanefesh, the same way you can prepare your food without a shinui, so too you can prepare the utensils necessary for the preparation of your food without a shinui. Okay, says the Gemara Amr, Darash Rav Hastavi Itemar Rav Yosef, Ehad Sakin Shenifgema, Vehad Shefud or Shapud Shenirsam, Vehad Gerefat Tanur Vekiraim Beyom Tob, Banu Lemachloket Biuda Verabbanan. He says the following three cases would be good symbols, good testing grounds for the machloket, the dispute again of Rabbi Udan Hachamim, which we've been alluding to and we're finally going to see inside. What are the three situations? Number one, Sakin Shinif Gema Beyom Tob. The knife on Yom Tob got uh, blemished. The knife on Yom Tob got originate. And you want to fix that. You want to be able to slaughter with it, to cut your meat with it. That would be machloket biudan hachamim. According to hachamim, only ochel nefesh is permitted, not machshire ochel nefesh, not if it's a step removed, the preparation of the knife. Ehad shapud shenirsam. A shapud or a shefud is a reference to a skewer. Nirsam, Rashi explains, means the top of it got cut off. The top of it came, came off, which means it can no longer skew. And in such a circumstance, you want to fix the top. That as well as a preparation of the utensil which you'll use to prepare the food. And lastly, gerefat tanur vekiraim refers to sweeping out the bottom of your small oven or larger oven. In such a circumstance, whatever collected at the bottom is going to prevent the proper heat inside of this oven. So in order to sweep it out, uh, well, that's a question of Rabbi Hachamim. You're effectively preparing the utensil which we'll use for the preparation of the food. In each of those three cases, we're dealing with this dispute. What is that dispute? We've been throwing it around. We've been mentioning it several times, even in our Masechet. Certainly on this daf, Ditanya, as the Beraita teaches, Gerefa means to sweep. It's to sweep out, to clean the body. You have your oven, and the ovens had, you know, coals and things of that sort on the bottom. Now, whatever got filled in, I don't know, branches and leaves and pieces of meat, but you want to sweep that off in order to clean up the bottom so that when you light a fire, it's going to not be prevented. That's Gerefa Tanur Vekiraim. According to the Hakamim, prohibited. You're allowed to put things into the oven. You're not allowed to fix the oven. What's that? 100%. But over here, you're fixing the utensil. Over there, you're making it cook better through 
adding food to it. Effectively, all that, yeah, that's a major difference. It's a ha'arama situation, as we've described in the past. It's a way of, so to speak, finding the loophole in halakha. You're and you're putting extra dough into the oven, turning it into bread, ultimately speaking, but I don't need all of that bread, but I am doing bread. Over here, you're doing something removed from production of food entirely. You're just fixing the oven. Do you follow the distinction? Okay, says the Gemara, what is this dispute? What's the mahlokin? Biudan hachamim. We've talked about their opinion. Let's see it. Ditanya, as the Beraita taught, En ben yom tob le Shabbat ela ochel nefesh bilvad. First and foremost, the opinion of hachamim. And Ben, and Ben, there's nothing between. In other words, they're identical. Shabbat and Yom Tov, with regards to Isur Melacha, the prohibition of labor, acti- laborious activity. Same thing, Yom Tov and Shabbat. Ela, except for Ochel Nefesh, Pasuk and Parashat Bo. Hachamim. You want to know what sort of activities? You want to know what sort of situations? Ochel Nefesh, if it's production of food. Rabbi Yudah Matir, af machshire ochenefesh. Rabbi Yudah says it's permitted even if it's the utensils which are being fixed for production of food. That's a machshir. Again, we talk about this word machshir in other contexts. A hechshir is what brings about mitzvot, generally speaking. A hechshir mitzvah, building the sukkah. It's not a mitzvah per se, it's a hechshir mitzvah. Uh, making certain that you put together your four minim for, for, for sukkot. Lulav etrog hadasim and aravot, hechshir mitzvah, and so forth. And that's uh, preparing your hanukiah and hanukkah. Hechshir mitzvah, machshire ochenefesh, is the preparation of the utensils which will bring the food. So as the Gemara, let's test out their opinions based on pesukim. Pasuk in the Torah, which we just cited, which we've mentioned so many times, for good reason. My ta'ama de tanakama. What's the reasoning of tanakama? Not per se their logic, but their textual evidence. What's the pasuk they point to that says that only ochil nefesh, only the real production of the food, not the preparation of the utensils for the food. Amar kera, they say that the pasuk says again, that which is going to be eaten for all souls, that itself, and that and only that, period. It's pretty clear. The only thing that's permitted on Yom Tov is production of food. Nothing before, nothing afterwards, and nothing in between. Production of food. And only production of food, the Torah is ex- uh, extraneous with its words. Who levado ye aselachem to teach you that? Rebuda, how do you respond to that? It's a pretty strong claim. Who levado? That and only that, production of food. Amar kera lachem. That's true, the Pasuk says, who levado ye aseh. But then it says lachem. Also an extra word. Lachem means for you. It seems to suggest anything that's for your benefit, anything that's for your enjoyment, anything that's for your food. It's for all of your necessities with regards to food, even the prior stages. Says the Gemara, How do they define the word lachem? After all, Biudah points to a beautiful word. Lachem. Lachem seems to suggest for all necessities. Amar lachem Tanakama, the Hachamim who disagree with Rabbi Yudah, we've seen this derasha already, would suggest that Lachem is not coming to be inclusive, but rather to be exclusive. The word Lachem means for you. You can either read it as Rabbi Yudah did for you and anything that's for you. Alternatively, for you, 
as opposed to for others. We said lachem v'lo lekilabim as well. Indeed, you can learn. After all, Rabbi Yehuda is going to be learning both over here. Lachem, he's going to learn lachem v'lo lanochrim and lachem lekol torkechem. You can from time to time. Why would you have thought that you can include the nochrim in your ochel nefesh? No, no, they have a guest in the house. That's good. What's the Hava Amina that Nukhrim would have been permitted? No, it's not commanding. It's you would have thought that it would be permitted to prepare food for a Nukhri. Kamashma'lan the Pasuk, not so. And so says Nathan, why would you have thought so? We had that whole entire suit, yeah. Rabbi Akiva, no, but it didn't answer this question. Right, right, right. Because he left the wine in it afterwards. Right. Separate separate issue, don't forget. I understand. I mean, that's got to be the answer. I mean, but Nathan says, why would, even if they're eating in your house, well, either don't have them in your house, or if they are eating in your house, why would you have assumed that you're allowed to prepare for them on Yom Tov? I don't know, maybe something along the lines of, you would have believed that, that these melachot, if they're for the production of food, it doesn't matter who it's being made for. It's production of food, that's mutar. I don't even question who it's being made for. That's the hidush, no, it's production of food, if it's for your necessity. Something along the lines, it's not so crazy. What's that? That's that sugya. That's that sugya. Yeah, the, the, that, that's that sugya where we were addressing this issue. That was the that that's the last time we talked about this matter in our masechet. I understand, but the question is, why would you? Oh, you're saying what's the what are you saying? That's answering the question, Jeffrey. No, maybe you're right. The Gemara is over here. Um, the Gemara has uh, uh, in the second uh, wide line on Daf Kaf Aleph Amud Aleph, if you recall. Um, the Gemara has uh, the, the following. It says, well, it's the story. Ma'aseh b'shimon ha-temani shelo ba'emesh l'bet ha-midrash b'shaharit mitzahor b'yehuda ben Bava. Amar lo mipine ma'lo ba'at ha-emesh l'bet ha-midrash. So uh, he asked him, uh, Shimon, why weren't you in the Midrash? There was a, uh, a, a army troops who came to our city. And they wanted to uh, steal and uh, ransack our city. That's what I was busy with. I was slaughtering. We were slaughtering for them. And we gave them food and then we sent them off. Amar lo, the response of Yudah ben Bava, Terbi Shimon, but Shimon HaTemani was, Tameani im lo yasaz charchem beefsetchem. Did you gain anything? Share amera Torah, lachem velo la avde kochavim. The Torah is very clear. It's only for you and not for uh, non-Jews. I guess what Jeffrey or Art School is suggesting is that maybe you would have thought it's permitted, at the very least, for an army which is entering into your city. And the Hidush is, even in that situation, it's us or something along those lines. Again, provided that it's not dangerous. I don't know how much that helps, though. In other words, in the scheme of things, if it's not permitted, yeah. Uh, anyway, says the Gemara, 
who, uh, so says the Gemara, wait a second, Rabbi Yehuda, what about the word who in the Pasuk? Again, Chachamim say, Lachem v'lolanukhrim. Rabbi Yehuda says, Lachem v'cholchorkechem. But who was the primary text for the Chachamim? They said, who? Levado. That and only that, not the Machshirim. Amalecha ketibhu uktiv lachem. Indeed, says Rabbi Yehuda, it says both who, levado, that and only that. And it also says lachem, and all matters. So which one is it? Lakashya kan b'machshirin she'efshah la'asotan me'erev yom tov. Kan b'machshirin she'efshah la'asotan me'erev yom tov. Period. Says Rabbi Yehuda, it goes like this. Here's how it breaks up. On the one hand, the pasuk says, Hu levado, that and only that is, is, is what you can prepare. It means you can't prepare the items which are used to prepare the food. And on the other hand, it says lachem, all included. How do we explain this? Says Rabbi Yudah, it depends whether that preparation of the utensil could have been done before Yom Tov or not. If it was possible to do it before Yom Tov, it's prohibited to do on Yom Tov. If it was impossible to do before Yom Tov, either you didn't have the time, or it wasn't blemished, or it wasn't in that state of being, then it's permitted. And that's indeed how we're posek lahalacha. We go like Rabbi Yudah, that even machshireh ochel nefesh are permitted on Yom Tov, even the preparation of the utensil as necessary to bring forth the food is permitted on Yom Tov, provided that you couldn't have done it before Yom Tov. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shemuel, what's that? What do you mean in that respect? You're preparing the utensil which is making the food, is really, that's the machshirim. Those are the examples we have. From before Yom Tov, that would be uh, that uh, unless you were entirely consumed, I know, hard to believe to the extent that you couldn't have it fixed at all. And the previous one where you said you could do it with the knives together? That's according to the Hachamim. According to the Hachamim, as long as you did a Bishinui, then it's permitted. But according to Yehuda, you don't need to do it in a funny way. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shemuel, Shaput Shenirsaf. The statement is, if you have a uh, skewer and the top came off, you're not allowed to fix it on Yom Tov, Peshita. That's simple. If it happened before Yom Tov, you're not allowed to fix it on Yom Tov. The suggestion is, excuse me, excuse me, Shifut Shenirzaf is not that the top came off, says Rashi. It's not broken, it's just bent. Well, it's simple that if it's bent, you're not allowed to fix it. Why would you have thought any differently? The chidush is, la mafshit Even though you could do it with your hand, you'll say, that's a nothing activity. What's the problem? What's the issue in doing it in such a fashion? Even that is going to be asur on Yom Tob. Why so? What's asur over here? You're not going to tell me that's makshire or chenefesh. You're not doing any melacha. You're just doing it with your hand. What's the answer? It's extra laborious activity, says Rashi. And the left hand side, about six lines up. After all, it is usable. It might be bent, it might be a little skewed, but it's usable. Uh, what's the issue? It's an extra and unnecessary uh, Torah uh, activity which is being done to it and in turn prohibited. So again, with regards to the Shaput, which the top came off, that's what we read about just a few moments ago. What was the Halakha in such a circumstance? That's what we call Shaput Shenirsam. Shenirsam means the top came off. Over here we're talking about Shenirsaf. Nirsam means it came off. Nirsaf means it kind of bent. 
When it became banned, prohibited, even according to the Biudah. Even according to the Biudah, if anything, this is lighter activity. The answer is it was usable, it is usable. Say the rabbis, unnecessary activity. Use it when it's bent a little bit harder, get over. If it was a skewer with which you had already skewed, you finished with your skewing. And you want to move it, asur tob. You're not allowed to move it on Yom Tov. Why are you not allowed to move it on Yom Tov? If there's a skewer, it says, that you already used in order to cook, well, you, if you're going to use it, you could use it, but you're not allowed to move it now. You finished your, why so? You finished the meat. You took it off the skewer. You can't now move the skewer out of the way or something like that. Rashi. Immediately after you finished your roasting, you can no longer move it. Why? Because it's disgusting. And in turn, it's considered what's called Something that's disgusting, objectively speaking, a greasy, dirty skewer. Right. You should be able to move it. Yes, you Give it a moment or two. At this moment, you don't need to move it. It's not in the way of people. It's just disgusting. You want to move it out of the way. Correct. Greasy knife you could clean because you're using it now. Because you're, you're taking off the grease in order to use it. By, extent, by extension, when I finished using it and there's grease left on that knife and I'm not going to use it again, same halakha. Same halakha it would be. Tosafot questions this a little bit based on understandings of mukseh and the opinions that are being cited over here. Shemuel, does he have the concept of mukseh as well as Ravina, who comes up a moment in, in, in a moment in the Gemara? He therefore suggests that perhaps, and it doesn't per se contradict Rashi, it just works out in a technical fashion. What we're talking about is not a regular skewer, we're talking about like a one-time use skewer. And as a result, it no longer has the status of keli, of utensil any longer, and that, and specifically that, is the issue over here. But it doesn't mean that he would disagree with Rashi. The concept of mukseh mehamat mius is a concept if you have mukseh mius over here. The Gemara says, uh, before we really make a decision about this, that we're absolutely certain you can't move it, let's qualify it. Ravadabar ahava amarav. It's not to say that you can't move it at all. You can move it, kind of drag it, says Rashi. Drag it in a roundabout, not normal fashion, in order to place it in the corner. You can get it out of the way, it's permitted, but do it in such a way that you're not carrying it in a regular fashion. Rashi. Shomto zavid, right on the left hand side. Shomto, drag it milifanav maher, quickly away. Bigrera, in a dragging fashion. Vitiltul min hasad. That's what we call carrying minatzad from the side and not regular fashion. Until you move it from in front of you. You don't want it in front of you. You have guests, you have whatever in your kitchen, in your dining room. But you're not allowed to entirely and regularly pick it up and move it. The statement in turn of Rav Huna 
is, wait a second, even that, even the moving in the roundabout, minhatsad, gorero, the tiltul minhatsad, not regular fashion, is only if there's a kazait basar, if you have at least a kazait of flesh left on it. If you don't have a kazait of flesh of meat left on it, don't bother moving it at all. In such a circumstance, it's entirely disgusting, and we look at it as no semblance of even food, of anything permitted, Lastly, says the Gemara, and most importantly, the halacha, Ravina Amar Afal Pishen Alav Basar Mutar Letaltelo. Even if there's no meat on it, and you told me it's disgusting, nonetheless, Mutar Letaltelo Miyad. He's not saying Shomto, he's saying Tiltul, Bederech Ragil, Bederech Regila. In the regular fashion, you're allowed to pick it up and move it. Why are you allowed to pick it up and move it? I thought it's disgusting. Indeed, Eli, as usual, a step ahead of us, it's because it's hazardous. Uh, you're dealing with a skewer. You can't have a skewer out. Not for me, not for you, not for our children or grandchildren. It can't be out. It's going to be dangerous. Pick it up in a regular fashion. Move it. Mideh dehava. Mideh dehava in Aramaic. Literally, mideh means a thing. Dehava means that it was. Mideh dehava always means just like. Kemoshezeh. Just like. Akos. So you're allowed to move it, you're not allowed to fix it. Right? It seems so. It seems so. You can't do it in regular fashion. You're talking about a Geref Shel Re'i. Geref Shel Re'i means it's blocking my way. Apparently that's not the case over here. Apparently it's just there. It's not blocking my way. It's not obscuring my... Uh, a little bit different, not disgusting over there. Why is this not exciting to pots that we use and, and everything you eat in my My plate is disgusting because I'm eating it. It's bones or whatever. So you can use hot use and have the roast to be outside the pot. Why is it not a good point? It's not anything like that. Jeffrey's asking, proper question. Jeffrey says, listen, if the issue over here, as Rashid's explaining it to us, is that the skewer which has meat or doesn't have meat on it is that it's now disgusting and therefore you can't in a normal fashion take it off. So then why am I allowed to take plates off the table? Why am I allowed to move the plates around in the kitchen? It's disgusting. No, according to Tosafot. He's in Rashi right now. Now, the way that we're going to be permitting the skewers is only because it's a hazard. My pot, my dishes, my plates are not so. Uh, we'll have to return to that question tomorrow, but at the moment, we're just going to accept the kula for a moment in the context of shapud, in the context of something that's hazardous. Again, he's asking with regards to the dirty dishes. I might want to get it out of the way. Maybe I can't do it in regular fashion. Why are you allowed to do so? Says the Gemara, but again, in the context of shapud, that question notwithstanding, it says, uh, This is just like if there's a thorn in reshut harabim. What does that mean, a thorn in reshut Tarabim. Well, if there's a thorn in a shutarabim, that poses a hazardous situation. What the halakha is, the Gemara says, as Rashi cites in Masechet, Shabbat and Daf Membet, is mutar l'holicha, pachot pachot me'arba amot. The isur tiltul on Shabbat, the prohibition of carrying in a public domain on Shabbat, is specifically when you go four amot, six feet. 
right? You're not allowed to carry something six feet. What if you do less than six feet? You do three feet, you do five feet, you do five and a half feet, still rabbinically prohibited, but it's not biblically prohibited. Now, you can be very sly. You'll say, what I'll do is I'll take three steps and stop. Three steps and stop. At no point did I carry in one swift motion six feet, four amot, rabbinically prohibited. The rabbi said it's prohibited. However, if there's a kotzbir, a shutarabim, if there's that thorn out in the public area, say the rabbis, pick it up and walk less than six feet, less than four amot, and so on and so forth until you get it out of the way. But I thought it was a rabbinic prohibition. I thought it's asumat rabbanan. If it's going to pose a hazard, the hachamim permitted. The suggestion in turn over here is when I'm dealing with an isur drabanan, it's isur of mukseh. It's not biblically prohibited, this shapud, this skewer. As a result, in turn, so that, that we can likewise suggest that you're allowed to move it without any problem. It's only posing an isur drabanan with a danger. Get it out of the way. I'm using the skewer. If I use it, then I'm using it in about six Nope. It seems clear to me that we're talking about when you finished using it entirely. In other words, if you have any more intent to use it, I don't think it's mukseh yet, because I don't think it's ma'us. I think you're still in the act of using it, even though you're using it hours later. I think so. Yeah, the, those are mukseh, and in turn he can't take them away with him. Right? He has to leave them in their place. Yeah. Says the Gemara, Amar Rav Hinena, but not because of Mukseh Muhammad Mi'us per se. But anyway, says the Gemara, Amar Rav Hinena, Bere de Rav Ika, Shapud, Shefahot, Vigumot, Rav Malkiyo, Blorit, Efer Makle, Ugevina, Rav Malchaya. Rav Papa, Amar, Matnitin, Matnita, Rav Malchaya, Shma'atata, Rav Malchayo, Vesimanich, Matnitin, Malketa. My benayu ika benayu shefahot. So the Gemara in its last six, seven lines gives us a little bit of an organizational uh, um, statement, which means to say we have two emoraim, two rabbis from the time of the Gemara who have similar names. They both have names which denote monarchy. Malkayo and what's the other name? Uh, Malkaya. Malkayo and Malkaya. Very similar names. You might confuse who said what. I even confuse their names. As in turn, says the Gemara, here's how it goes. The following three statements are in the name of Rav Malkayo, and the next three are in the name of Rav Malkaya. And you and I are supposed to know all of these statements because we know Talmud proficiently. We're well versed in it. So he could just mention the names and we're supposed to know it. A Musa to each of us. Number one, we do know. Shapud. Shapud is our case. Shapud is the situation where you use the skewer and has left on it the uh, sediment of uh, grease and of meat. And in turn, you have an isur, potentially, said Rav Malkayo, of regularly moving it. The next one is Shefahot. Shefahot is a reference to a Mishnah and Gemara, a Mishnah and in turn Gemara and Masechet Ketubot. The halacha goes as follows. There are certain shi'budim, there are certain responsibilities of a wife to husband. We read from the Ketubah, the obligations of husband to wife. Wife to husband, their obligations as well. Certain household activities, the Mishnah tells us, are responsibility of a woman. The Mishnah says, however, if the woman brings in four shefahot, four maidservants, in order to do the work for her, she's exempt from any of that household activity. 
Says Rabbi Eliezer, however, oh, wait a second. She still needs to, nonetheless, she could bring in a hundred shifahot, a hundred maidservants. Much as she likes, she still needs to be working on semen. She still needs to be uh, spinning the wool and dealing with that. Why so? When people don't work, they make all sorts of sinful activity. Keep her working. Make certain, at the very least, she has a basic chore and necessity in the home and responsibility. Says Rav Malkayo Halakha Ke Rabbi Like that opinion. No matter how many shefahot, she still needs to be Ovedet Basemen. Gumot. Gumot is another halakha. Looks like we're not going to finish all of these, but we'll suffice with this for now. We'll finish these halachot tomorrow. Gumot refers to the following halakha. The halakha is that uh, a woman, when she's young, can be married off by her father below the age of 12, 12 and a half even, her father is in charge of her uh, getting married and engaged to others. Uh, the halakha is if the father passes away, her mother and brothers can nonetheless do so for her. However, there's a specific halakha with regards to that rabbinic marriage. Biblically, from the Torah, the father can marry her off at that young age. And she's stuck. The only way to get out of it is with a git, just like uh, any woman who's an adult. You can only have a divorce document get out. However, if it's a young woman, they're allowed to marry her off. But as long as she says, I'm not interested any longer, as what's called mi'un, she could get out before she turns 12. And there's no get necessary, and she's not considered a gerushar, and she's married, can get married to a kohen, and so forth. So the question is, at what age can she no longer do mi'un? So the halakha is when she has three hairs, three pubic hairs. The halakha alternatively is, even if the hairs are not showing, but there's some sort of indent in the skin showing that there was hair there, that in and of itself gives her the age of puberty and it determines her as being an older woman and in turn she can no longer do mi'un. That's the halakha as well, that's gumot. Gumot means those ridges in the skin, those indentations which designate her as a gedola or as not a ketana any longer. All right, we'll continue with this tomorrow. Baruch